Before we pass out the Bible, just hang on. A little bit of an introduction is uh, the Sunday fell on Valentine's Day. And uh, um, I was, it was an interesting week for me. Um, I was, I was burdened more than I, I can remember of recent days. Um, even as, as early this morning, it was still heavy. Um, it's one of those seasons in life where the Lord is taking you to a place you're unfamiliar with. And he has this uncanny way of lovingly revealing your inadequacies while his grace is sufficient. And um, he has this amazing way of crushing your ego. You know what ego is? It's self-preservation. It, it's where you want to defend yourself. And uh, the Apostle Paul told us what we can do with the ego. He said, I, ego, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, ego, who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. He goes, Rob, we can get something accomplished. We can do some really great things if you just get out of the way. And I, I, I thought, Lord, I'm the most humble man I know. <laughs> and... Um, he has this unique ability, and, and it's devastating in one sense, but in another sense, it's comforting because he never leaves you or forsakes you. And he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And literally, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what to do. And yet the Lord is faithful. And I was blessed last service. He ministered to my heart. Now, yesterday was probably the pinnacle of the difficulty of it all. It, just, it, was, it was a hard day. And um, one, of the, one of the tough parts of the day was saying goodbye to Al McLaurie and then listening to his, his children talk about him as a dad. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, this COVID mess, I, I, I know that it, it's, it's going to take folks. And we're watching as the nation is being affected by this little invisible monster. But I'm like, Lord, I got a list of people that I think would be great with COVID. Why did you have to take out? You didn't laugh at that. <laughs> My point is, I, I love this man. And I'd met him twice. Is that Al? <laughs> My, my point is this, that I, I, I met him twice significantly, once in Israel, and, and his smile is McLaurie, and he, he looks like he should have come from like Scotland or Ireland, and it just filled with joy. I didn't know anything about his comorbidities and the struggle, and he'd fallen like over 10 stories and crushed lungs and broke stuff. I, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know anything about his health condition because the way he lived life, he looked like he was healthy as an ox, but he had issues. And, and yet, he, he, he would never have known. He never let you know that stuff. And then the other thing I didn't know is I had finished a Memorial Day message and I talked about uh, folks who had died and, and went through the listings of each of the wars that America fought and one that's overlooked is a Korean War and talked about that. And as I'm leaving, he comes up to me, he's crying, and he said, you know, Rob, you don't know this, but my father was killed in Korea and I never knew him. He said, you don't know how much that message ministered to me. And I'm like, oh, man, 
dude, sweet. And then to hear that, that uh, he, he got COVID, and I'm thinking, well, he's tough as an ox. Well, I didn't realize he had so many issues, and then he went to be with the Lord. And then to see his family remember him, and, I, and, and going through all the stuff I was dealing with here, and I just, there was a part of me, I was just, um, I was crushed. And then putting a message together for today and thinking, Lord, what am I going to say to anybody? You know, you, I'm pretty much aware of what a loser I am. And, not, and I don't mean that. I'm just saying, when you see, when, when, when the light is revealed on your areas that God wants to work on, and maybe you hadn't done that yet and you really think you're good, give it a second. <laughs> you, you just think, Lord, not only, not only is the only good thing in me you, but the stuff that I'm responsible for is really bad. And you're really good and you're really gracious. And, and you go through the ego thing where you go, I just, you know, I, and you lose the confidence and whatever else it is, but it's, it's amazing how he ministers to you. And then the worst part is it falls on Valentine's Day, Sunday. So you're all here wanting a love message. I, I did a lot of digging on this guy, uh, Valentine, St. Valentine actually, and it was, it was actually, it was a saint's day in the Roman calendar where they celebrated the feast of St. Valentine. It was taken off in 1960 something, they, they took him out um, of the feast days, but he's a fascinating guy. Um, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about him, but before I do that, I wanna share this one last thing. After I left the memorial service for Al, um, I, I had met a couple, um, gosh, back in December? Yeah, December. I was in Florida for a student action summit with Turning Point USA. And I went to the event, and then I was meeting people left and right, but what I recall, they recall earlier, but for me the significant moment, is we've all left the convention center, we're walking to downtown West Palm Beach, and we've got a large group of people trying to find a place to eat, which good luck, because everybody's trying to find a place to eat on the phone, and they're walking, and I connect with them, and there's a, they're an adorable couple, and I go, you guys are at the, and they start, we reconnect, and they came to the Student Action Summit, and I go, where are you from? They're California, up in Dublin, Northern California, and I go, wow. And, and I started to hear a brief a bit of their story, and they had come out here on a whim, and I thought, why don't you guys come and visit? Because they were trying to see what God wanted to do, and, and I, you know, I do that all the time. Come visit, and I make good on it. And they called, and they said, well, we'd love to come visit. I'm like, okay, and I don't really remember who you are, but that's great, because I got a list of, <laughs> just being honest, okay? And Kelly, my, my daughter, she sets it up, and they, they come down, and, and they're over, we gave them some accommodations uh, over at the Stiff Neck Inn, and, and we, I'm kidding, that's a joke, it's Palm Garden Inn, it's very comfortable, kind of. And, and I know that I have to go over there after Al's uh, memorial service, and so I head over there to pick him up, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm empty, I'm struggling, and I, but I, I pour, I, I just, I, I know they're here and they, they're wanting to hear from the Lord. So we get in the car and we, be, we begin to drive and I start to just point out geographical details. We, you know, go all around and I drive them down the coast and I come over Canaan, I take them through Hidden Valley, I'm showing them all the stuff and I'm, and, and I'm just pointing out geographical details, telling them a little bit about the area, but they're telling me their life story while we're, while we're driving. And... Um, 
It's amazing how God uses couple to minister in my heart. It's just like, you know, Lord, I thank you because if you're going through a series of depression, I got a secret for you. Pour into somebody else's life and it'll lift. The last thing I want to do was, was drive anyone around. The last thing I want to do was go to memorial service because it was all about Rob. But when you step into other people's lives and start, all of a sudden that lifts. God made us to serve people. And I don't know if I've done well at that, but then we went back to the house and we sat down and the story they shared with me absolutely blew me away. And, and I, I have just come to love this couple and I want to introduce them to you. So you have Andrew and Ina. Come on up, you guys. You, you, you didn't, I didn't tell you I was doing this yesterday. I sprung this on you first service. I'm going to do it to you again. And I'm going to do it to you in third service. You don't get to leave. We're good with that. I, I don't, you know, we don't charge anything, but this is the price of admission. <laughs> so I want to tell you what I've gleaned from their life. And if I get it wrong, Andrew, correct me. You did great the first time. Okay. So uh, Andrew was raised by missionary parents. His parents were missionaries. And they were missionaries in Brazil. Uh, up un until he was eight and a half years old. And they came, uh, Plymouth Brethren, yeah. and they came back stateside. He was homeschooled up in the Bay Area, and he, uh, he, be, he was a bad boy. Mm -hmm. he, he, anything that was dark, he ran for it. Mom and dad, he went off the reservation. Mom and dad did, he, incorrigible kid. And um, if, if, if it appealed to darkness, he kind of went in that direction, to the consternation and burden of his parents. And uh, got in some trouble. Yeah. Um, and then your mom and dad, actually your dad kind of said, you gotta go. And off you went and couch surfed throughout the Bay Area, which that's dangerous. A um, lot of trouble there. Ends up, as you can see, he's a fitness instructor because he's got muscles in places where I don't have places. <laughs> he ends up at a fitness place and meets the receptionist. Um, and Ina is working there, and you think, a receptionist at a fitness place, all right, what's her background? Her mom left the Philippines when you were a year, and about, when you were, you were just newly born, about a year and a half. She, she comes to the United States via Hawaii. She is a medical doctor in the Philippines, reestablishes her medical practice in Honolulu, and then starts practicing in New York. Uh, Long Island, Brooklyn, Long Island. And then calls for her husband and her only child, her daughter. So Ina comes over at a year and a half. By the age of 16, for Ina, she's 16 years of age, her mom dies of breast cancer, she's dead. And not church going, rudderless, and she just wants to get away. So she, a uh, smart student, she ends up at Berkeley and gets um, indoctrinated to <laughs> everything that's weird. Um, <laughs> And she doesn't want to go back to the East Coast, so she does anything she can to stay out here. Your dad's still over in New York. And then meets the bad boy. And the two of them, uh, although Christian upbringing, no Christian upbringing, uh, you kind of aid in her experimenting with the, you know, amateur chemistry degree you were applying for. Yeah. Yeah. And they both go into a real dark world. Real dark world. It's in one of those instances, demonic stuff, and anyone who's ever LSD, they know that stuff. In the midst of that, um, God hits you guys. You were up all night through that. 
you end up wanting to meet with a friend of your father's who wanted to minister to you and lead you to the Lord. So you're the first to come to Christ and you're like, I- I'm done with this. And you were a little bit later down the line and then God hammers you and gets you. And the two of them, uh, they've been married about three years. They want to make it right. They've been living together. They want to make it right. They're, they're all in. Then Ina comes to Andrew and says, I've been following Charlie Kirk and some of these other folks and I see how it all connects and I want to go back to this thing. And you're like, I'm not sure of it. I love you. Let's go. And then we meet and I am blown away by you guys. And they, they said, we wanted to go to church, but there's no church open anywhere in the Bay Area. They walk around without a mask and people look at them like they're from Mars. Seriously. And, and it's intense up there. I said, what do you come tomorrow? You're going to look out at a sea of people that you can actually see them smiling. <laughs> So I, right here, are, are, this is a miracle. And I thought on Valentine's Day, it's so sweet. I just, I'm, I'm blessed by you guys. They're trying to see what God wants to do. I'd like to see them come here, but that's neither here nor there. You, you work for Lululemon, fitness instructor. You got giftings, you got giftings. We'll figure that out. Uh, Rick Brown, the co-pastor, I tell him, I think these, he goes, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> so it, it's a, he saves me from the emotional thing because uh, he's logical and... Uh, Rick, am I like the, the, the female pastor in this room? <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> and then this is the last thing we'll get into it. Um, they sat down where they sat down last time, but then I look out at this row, and you didn't know this, but you sat down in a row. All three of the couples here, I've had a chance to know their story. They're all miracle couples. The, the, what God has done in all three of these couples is nothing short of miraculous. And you sat in that row, and you need to get to know them, and you guys need to get to know them. And I think we need to start a young couples ministry. What do you say? All right. Bless you guys. Thank you. Yeah, no. So Valentine's Day, the couples are in the front row. They're wanting some sort of inspiration for love. Um, St. Valentine was actually a real guy. Uh, they, had a, they had a feast for him. He was actually a martyr. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there that's rumor and innuendo, but if you dig down deep, you find some of the legitimate stuff in relation to it. But the one thing we do know is you kind of scan the Catholic Church around the world when you look at their saints. The one thing they do ascribe to him is that he was the saint of affianced couples, beekeepers, engaged couples, epilepsy. Now, that combination, you know. Um, engaged couples, epilepsy, fainting. And then greetings, happy marriages, love, lovers, plague. I'm thinking this is a fitting guy for right now. Travelers and young people. So he's this patron saint of all these different areas. When you're having struggles in whatever area that is, you, you call him that guy. And that's kind of the work or the approach of, of our brothers and sisters, uh, some of them in the, in the Catholic faith. But more importantly, um, he, he was a real martyr. And they, they did have a church dedicated to him. And then when they decided to take him off the feast calendar, they built in the, for the 1960 Olympics, another chapel for him in Rome. And then they pulled him off the feast calendar. I saw pictures of that chapel. It's really ugly. But they've kind of lost, they've kind of lost sight of who he was because they couldn't find information on him. But they, they did see quotes in, in relation to it. And they, they don't know how it became, it, and it, it, like, for example, we call it St. Patrick's Day, Right. They don't call it St. Valentine's Day. They've taken the saint out and they just put the Valentine. Because we know that St. Patrick's Day is about the guy who evangelized Ireland. 
but they, they've changed it. And the reason why it changed, it was Chaucer, Geoffrey Chaucer, um, when he wrote the Canterbury Tales. And he put this, he said, for this was on St. Valentine's Day. So it was on the feast. He says, for this was on St. Valentine's Day when every bird cometh there to choose his mate. And they believed in England that at this certain time in February, this is when the birds would decide who they, they pick their mate in the mid-season uh, of February. And so Chaucer writes of this, and they start to see this as kind of a lover's season. And then it says, um, the other thing is the modern custom of Valentine's Day also occurred in England at the end of the 18th century when an English printing house released a book of sentimental verse for young men to use to woo the young women uh, they were courting. So we were watching Persuasion. Uh, this is how, that's my wife's love language is uh, Jane Austen films. And uh, when Micah and James came courting, we're like, hey, welcome. Uh, the test, you got to sit through the six-hour series on Pride and Prejudice. And there'll be a test afterwards. And there was, and they passed, and they're in the family. Because the girls grew up with the same love language. Oh, Jane Austen, let's, oh. Honey, this is the 11th time. I know, it's awesome, isn't it? Is there any shooting or anyone die? No, 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 it's just dialogue. And, and, and in the dialogue, you see how the English language and the words mean something when you communicate. And, and men didn't have that capability. And in America, we don't know how to court with words. We're like, uh, you're finer than a new set of snow tires. cute, but dumb. You're dumber than a box of rocks. So uh, they, they put these sentimental verses together, kind of like Cyrano de Bergerac, if you know the story where the guy's hiding behind the bush and he's whispering, and then he's saying these beautiful poetic phrases that is wooing the woman's heart. And, and so they sent these out so the guys could practice them and, and they could practice in their courting. And so the idea of ghostwriting pre-printed romantic poetry began, uh, being offered as a token of romantic affection quickly became so popular that various English printers created cheap cards with these verses printed on them, and the cards were called Valentines, and that's how we got to where we are now. And, and now they've gotten really bad. Rose are red, violets are blue, I dig you. <laughs> but we've lost the idea of courting and and, and you invest in someone's heart and what you win them with is what you win them to and you go to the mind and the heart and, and it's, what we do is we go immediately into the physical. The, the world just becomes this erotic, physical connection as opposed to sex as an expression of intimacy, an outward expression of a, uh, it, it's a, it's a physical expression of what's occurring emotionally, spiritually. You, you're connecting on every level as a trichotomy, a three-part being. And God gives you that gift of expression. And what we do in our modern culture is we go just straight to the physical. And then we spend years trying to get to know each other. And I, I remember my oldest son, Daniel, he came to me and he said, you know, Dad, I'm real sweet on this girl. I said, yeah, she's, she's real cute. He said, uh, you know, I, I, we had the talk, but what am I allowed to do? I go, what? It depends. I mean, what do you want in life? Do you want a long-lasting relationship? Then you need to invest in mind and heart. But it, if you just want to go out and sow oats, you know, that's, that's easy. But what you win someone with is what you win them to. And, and the Bible says that, that you treat the woman like she's your sister. I wouldn't do anything with her with, that you wouldn't do with your sister. And he's like, Dad, that's like, I go, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Because, son, you're going to get to know her. 
Because the physical is easy to reach, but when you get into the trials of life, when you lose a child, or you lose a parent, you have financial devastation, you're wondering who you're sitting next to. You never got to know them. And I got news for you as a minister, 31 years of marriage come April, uh, I, I thought I knew, but there's so much I don't know. And I'm so grateful for God in, in, in infusing this in our lives. And he, he has this way of dealing with our ego because that just gets in the way of stuff. And, and I, told, I told Daniel, invest. And he did. And Michael's the same way. They're investing and pouring into it. And, and, I, and I love that about the relationship. I said, you know, spend your whole married life with the physical side, but it'll be so much more significant when you connect in the, in the spiritual and in the, in the, in the emotional side. And so with that being said, that develops the strength of a relationship and it's through words. So we get to know one another's heart and that's the building block. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost to the point where I'm going to get to the passage, which all of you are familiar with my long introductions. Here we are in a culture today, especially Valentine's day where we, we, look, we look at the nation and we're worried. I'm worried for my city. No, let me correct that. I'm worried for my kids. I'm worried for my grandkids. I'm worried, I'm worried for my family and I'm worried for my church. I'm, I'm concerned for my city, my county, my state, my nation. I'm, I'm concerned for the world. I, Look, if you got your finger on the button of that reset button, would you just take it off? I don't need a reset. I liked it before. I don't, I don't want the reset button. And yeah, okay. But, but the direct attack is, is the primary building block of culture. And that needs to be redefined if you're gonna control people. Because God ordained it. Now, you can get angry with me, that's fine, but you're picking on the wrong guy. Take it up with the Lord. And, it, and, it, and if you don't like the way he's running things, get your own universe. Because this, this, is, this is his design, the laws of nature, nature's God. He created the male and female. End of story. And he designed marriage, it's the only estate to survive the fall in the Garden of Eden. Because it's not good that man should be alone. We're relational creatures. We learn from each other. We go for long drives and I get to know you. And my heart melts and I'm blessed. You endeavor with people. They're not the enemy, they're the opportunity. The world expands because you gain understanding. And God designed it and he said, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. God, husband, wife, children. And you know what? You go, oh, I don't necessarily like to be in that order. I think I should be there. Okay, ego, I. What do you do with I in the scriptures? Crucify it. it God didn't ask you how to run the universe. He designed it. And he takes the most vulnerable of the family, which is the children, and gives them the most levels of protection. And, and you say, well, God, then the husband. 
I was a junior in high school. I, 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 I competed in swimming. I accomplished a time. And I, I realized at that moment as I was going through all the stats, there wasn't a single woman anywhere in the world that could swim faster than me. The whole world. Nowadays, we say, well, look, I can't compete in the men's category, so I'm going to take, even though I'm biological male, I'm going to compete in the women's. And, 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 and we allow our elected officials to go, yeah, that's permissible. As we're watching women's records being crushed, and they're wrestling or they're bi- boxing, or you're watching a, a biological male break the facial bones of, of a biological female, and we're saying this is correct. And I'm like, wait a minute. Who's in control here? These are the laws of nature. Nature's God designed by him. He designs the family. And if you want to control humanity, screw it all up and go right after the the critical building block of humanity, which is the family. And the family's built on security of love. Where the kids know mom and dad are above you and they, they got you covered. And they're not going anywhere. They're in it for the long haul. A lot of us have been affected by divorce because the church doesn't honor marriage anymore. We go in and out of marriage like we change clothes. God's never left us or forsaken us, but we, and, and, and we don't understand the roles. And we're so driven by what we want that we go into a marriage not wanting to serve, but to be served. And then even, even distorting the scriptures where it says, it says, wives submit to your husbands. And the, and the husband goes, woman, scripture says it, submit. I have news for you. Hey guys, if you ever have to say that, you are a pathetically weak male. And you don't believe me? Let's go. I'm ready. Show me how strong you are. Because you're weak. You have to force somebody to submit because your character is so bad they don't even want to. I'll add this though. There isn't a man on the planet that's worthy of a wife's submission. We're all jacked up. (laughs) However, wives, his word says that you're to do that. And here's the secret. There's no man worthy of submission but one. And that's Jesus. And you love the Lord more than anything else. You say, Lord, I'm going to submit to that monster because of you. Good. And, And men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? Die. What, take a bullet? No. No. Die to your ego. Well, I, I, I really need to be right. Well, you're not. Yeah, but I'm stronger and I can convince them I am. And, and it's this dance between these two strange creatures that only comes to intimacy when you understand. You can go to the physical side, but to connect spiritually and emotionally and physically where it's all, all the pistons are firing, that requires, that requires laying your life down. And I'm 56 and th- almost 31 years of marriage, I thought I got this down. And this was a week where I realized I, didn't, I, I don't know clue, but I was devastated. And I came across this picture I felt like they were looking at me. That's just me, because it's all about me. 
as my mom and dad. I felt like they were looking at me like, oh, you have no idea. Because they were young in this photo. They were married over 55 years. They weren't churchgoers. And my, my mother... My mother traveled with my father in his entire military career all over the world. He rose to the rank of captain, was scheduled for a billet for admiral in Korea, turned it down because my mother said, Roy, I don't want to do it anymore. His whole career, he's going to be an admiral. An admiral. Very few, like small percentage of the Navy make it to that. He's, he's billeted. Let's go. You, you, get the, the, you get the promotion. You're going to Korea. And she says, just, Roy, I, I just don't want to do it anymore. A weaker man would have said, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. My dad said, okay. You got it, dear. Give it up. He didn't know what he was going to do. Struggled. He looks cocky in that picture. And she looks like she knows exactly what she's going to do. And I think the Lord does it in the sense that a man chases a woman until she catches him. And then she has this ability to civilize him. And he contends with her because he doesn't want to lose the fight. But he also has to understand that side of what a building block of a family is and what love is. And it's not lording it over. You serve my dad was really good about that. To the point where his brain was completely gone with Alzheimer's. He was wiped out. It was shot. And his coping mechanism was taking care of my mom. I know you've heard the story, but I was, I was sitting with my wife on a... A love seat, a little couch, and then there was two wingback chairs in my parents' living room. My mom's here, my wife's here, and they're having a conversation. I'm sitting next to my wife. And my dad, before he went into this home, because he was taking all the clothes out at three in the morning, lighting you know, the stove, and it was getting bad. And she's, she's holding on with a th by a thread. And he's trying to see if he still fits in this world, and he knew the one thing, and that woman, I love her. So he'd come in with a blanket, bring it to her in the summer. And they'd bring her some water and a banana. And she, it's like he's just putting things around her. And she finally says, Roy, sit down. And he sits down. I kind of felt like you humiliated him, but then in the same regard, he was humiliating himself. And she, you know, it's just this whole all these things going in your mind. And he's looking at me and I, I, I don't want to look at him because he, he won't know what to say. And finally, he just won't stop looking at me. So I turned to him, I go, what? And he, he never liked that I went into ministry. He never said anything nice about it. He was upset that I gave up my career at Unilever. And, and he's looking at me and I said, hey, sir. He goes, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm a minister of a church, I'm a pastor. You know my son's a minister and I'm very proud of him. Yeah. 
And then shortly after that, he's in the home. And it got, you know, my mom would visit him twice a day. He was the most visited person there. And then my mom contracts, uh, or had lung cancer, had surgery, and she was dying. Didn't go well. And we didn't know what to do with dad, whether or not he should come in and see her. Because he didn't speak, and we didn't want to confuse him in hospital. And she had this mask on her face. We just didn't know what to do. And we decided, you know, let's let him say goodbye. So we brought him in, not knowing what was going to happen. And I, I just wanted to capture it. And I'll never forget when I went to visit my mom in the hospital, she was, it still hadn't gone bad. And, and the surgery, there was still hope. And she was wanting it to be successful. But she felt like she shouldn't have had the surgery in her late 80s. I asked her a question. I said, Mom, what do you miss the most about Dad? Because Alzheimer's had taken him out of the home. And, and she said, Rob, the thing I miss the most is his humor. He was the funniest man I've ever known. Without exception, funniest man. So we bring him in to say goodbye. Check this out. He, um, he doesn't speak, doesn't say anything. And he speaks now. He's kissing her mask. He just did that on his own. And listen. I love you. My mom says, Roy, I'm going to heaven. He says, I'll raise you. I'll raise you. And then he says, I think mom's going to win. I got to get out of here. Too many people are getting out of here. Too many people. At least, yeah. She got a gift of his humor, his wit. He just, he knew in 50-something years of serving her that that's what made everything so sweet. I'm not sure what everything else means, but that's, that's what it's all about. And for children like little Claire, and she looks at Emily and Micah, Things are caught, not taught. And as a son, I, I'm, I'm observing, and I'm even seeing them look at me from that, that picture when they were young. And now I'm 56, and I got kids and grandkids. And I'm married to a beautiful woman. And I remember thinking I knew everything. I mean, I'm a sharp guy. I landed that. Seriously, I mean, I done good. Can I, is there a tissue back there? When you get older, your feet smell and your nose runs. It's supposed to be reversed, but. <laughs> Thanks, man. So uh, this was in Saratoga, and I'm, my father-in-law's in the front row. I feel for him because it's bringing back memories of his cachectomy. <laughs> <laughs> That church was pricey, and the minister that we got, he went on and on and on. And I'm like, look, I know we want to cover the whole Bible. 
but do you see what's awaiting me? Could you get moving here, but it's just. And we, we start our life together and, and she's the most understanding woman and we've gone through so many changes in life and, and there's so much to learn, but the idea of civilizing a man and coming to that epiphany that there's lots to still be learned and the building block and the critical nature. And if God's gonna take me into a place, I really felt like, Lord, why is this church growing and what point do I, I didn't wanna come today. Quite frankly, I didn't wanna come. I don't wanna go to Al's funeral. I, don't, I, didn't, I, I feel ill-equipped to be a part of anything that's happening right now. And it's not because I was belittled or I had moral failure or anything like that. It's just one of those seasons in life where you thought you understood it and you don't have a clue. And you're humbled. And I just, I said, Lord, what, what am I supposed to say? Because I was gonna go through this whole teaching on Romans 13 and Jonathan Mayhew and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you still can. But how? He's teaching on Romans 13. Some authorities and government. He goes, did you go to the next verse? No. He goes, I was working with you on this one. I'll show you but we're gonna begin with Matthew 22. You don't have to stand, I'll read it to you. We typically do, but I'm going long. Jesus, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them said a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Trichotomy. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. We've covered that. People love to love God, but they don't love their neighbor. And the idea of loving your neighbor is intense. And it was John Locke who influenced Jonathan Mayhew. John Locke was an enlightenment thinker, philosopher. He wrote this and he was deeply moved and he was a Christian and he loved the Lord. He wrote our great... Our Savior's great rule that we should love our neighbors ourselves is such a fundamental truth for the regulating of human society that one might without difficulty determine all cases in social morality by that rule alone. Our founders looked at this and they said, if we're right with God and right with each other, society will flourish and only a moral people can govern a republic. Jonathan Mayhew was moved by Jonathan Locke. John Locke was all instrumental in this. And, and when they were looking at these two commandments to love God and love man, it's service. We're, in, we're screwed up because we, we don't love our neighbor like we love ourselves. We have a form of government right now that our neighbors are peons. We're elite, we know better. We'll do for them what we think we should. We know better, we're the elite, we're smarter. Don't ask questions, just do as you're told. And if the virus goes five feet and above, everyone's supposed to crawl, do two masks. They can get us to do anything at this point. Oh, and by the way, we'll be instructing your children from here on out. There's not two genders. And we're gonna do whatever we want with sports. And we're, we're just sheeple. And we're watching as everyone's devastated and scared. And we're wondering about our families as you, you, you heard Micah pray for his girl, Claire.
And it was this verse that moved Jonathan Mayhew, and it was by the work of Jonathan Locke, or John Locke. But this is the one that's so distorted today in the body of Christ that churches are closed. They're closed. And it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that are, exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. I highlighted that, put it in red, and underlined it, and we're going to read it together. Ready? For he is God's minister to you for good. If he isn't doing good, he's not your minister. If the king isn't doing good, he's a tyrant. He loses his kingship. You lose your authority when you start doing evil. That passage does not dictate unlimited submission to people who would say there's over a hundred different genders. That passage doesn't dictate unlimited submission to those who would say we can redefine marriage. That passage doesn't dictate unlimited submission to tyrannical rule that says a church is not essential while they declare abortion clinics are. I'm sorry, that verse doesn't do that, ever. And I'm fired up. And then I get humbled. Because I get frustrated with the tyrants. How do you reach them? They've got different ideologies. They're in our community. Somebody, they're, they're posting their vaccination cards with pride. I'm like, we just did a series on, it's a therapeutic, oh, never mind. And if you have a differing view, we're silenced and we're censored. And we're, when did this happen in America? And all doctors agree, yeah, the ones that they allow to, you know, 50,000 doctors who signed the Barrington Declaration, or where did they go? They're gone. There's no dissenting views. The, the lie hates the truth. It must shudder it. I, I, truth doesn't care. Talk all you want. <laughs> but a lie is always afraid of the truth. Has to silence it. Romans 13 goes on, and this is where the Lord ministered to me. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How do we govern? Love God, love each other. How do we love each other? By doing what God says. The laws of nature, nature's God. There are two genders. If I told you otherwise, I'm lying and I don't love you. And, and, I, and I can declare I don't love you because I'm unwilling to stand for the truth. I'll shudder the church and, 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 and comply. I'll allow them to say that a, a, a child created in the image of, of God knitted together in its mother's womb is a blob of tissue, go ahead and annihilate it and flush it through the sewer systems of America. That's not loving your neighbor. That's cowardice. And America cannot say, God, we, we cannot say, God bless America. 
if we're not aligned here. And if we want to love our neighbor, the building block, the emotional Valentine's Day and the, and the body, soul, and spirit and the connection and in a relationship that lasts 57 years where you're going to go the, the, the whole length and nothing's going to derail you. None of these things move you. Fear doesn't envelop you. It's because perfect love casts out all fear. How do we have that? We serve. How do you serve? He showed us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Die. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Everybody has a humbling experience in this. Children, what? Obey. <laughs> you crush the sin nature in submission to God and to each other. You raise the children loving the admonition of the Lord and the way that they should go in their old, they won't depart thereof. As a society, we build such a, a system of Galatians 3 laws that point to Christ and a guardian until faith comes and minister to people and serve them. Jonathan Mayhew was so moved by this. When he got his doctorate from Harvard in 1747, he went on to pastor this church in Boston, the West Church in Boston, and, and it was said that in his sermon that, that changed every pulpit in America, he addressed this issue and he said, pastors of the day who were loyal to tyrant kings were called royalists and loyalists. They taught unlimited submission and passive obedience in all cases, irrespective of how wicked the ruler was and how tyrannical his acts towards his subjects were. And if you love your neighbor, you will not stand for that. You want unlimited submission? You're a coward. God says that that's unacceptable. Stand in defense of that. It may put you in jail, but stand in defense of it. Stand in defense of your family and your children. You, you send them off and they tell them all this stuff and we allow them to be indoctrinated with this garbage. Who's God? Who's in control? Are they going to dictate what they think the universe is supposed to look like? We love God, we love each other. Then tell the truth. Stand upon those truths. That's love. Don't waver, proclaim it. Yeah, but they aren't going to like me. Really? Is it about you again? Because the last time I checked, I have been crucified. We're on this earth not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for the many. Husbands, do you have a problem loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Is that a problem for you? Wives, do you have a problem submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord? Is that a problem? Do me a favor, Christian. Look at that ugly, tragic symbol above my head invented by the Romans the most painful, slow death ever designed by humanity. And we wear it like jewelry. And he endured that while you were still a sinner to set you free. Redeem you. Teach you how to not be selfish, but to be selfless. So that little children, which you all possess except for you guys in this Valentine's Day so I'll be done soon <laughs> so they can see this 
Little Claire sees it. This is family. This is how God does it. Things are caught, not taught. If it's worth standing for, the children realize it's worth living for. But the church has come to a place of unlimited submission to tyrants while we allow all of our families to be decimated and we throw out little clips because it's comfortable. The church isn't supposed to be comfortable. It was, it was, it was birthed in persecution. And when he put this forward in America, it lit up the pulpits of America and they said this sermon became the motto for the revolution. And from that sermon they said, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. It's Christian. Today in our, our own day, we see strong evidence that loyalism has returned to the pulpits of America's churches. Many pastors, rather than challenging the despotism of corrupt government officials and informing their congregations of the necessity of resisting tyranny, are preaching unlimited submission and passive obedience. I just do the gospel. I have no idea what you're talking about. I do that too. What, what, what do you mean gospel? I, I just, I don't do government. Everybody does government. I don't do politics. I'm sorry. Everybody does politics. Well, I just don't bring politics into the church. That's okay. Politics came into your church. What, what do you mean you don't do? I, I, we, we, just, we just avoid politics. No, you're as political as anyone else. If your doors are shut and you're submitting to the tyranny... While their businesses are being destroyed, the abuser quarantined with the abusers, they're launching this on our entire community, and we're watching opioid deaths, the highest number in recorded history in America in the last 12 months. You're complicit. And you're fishing downstream with your ministries of homelessness and your little food pantries because you're creating the problem upstream because you don't do politics. When in reality, the truth must be established and they must be held accountable. And I'm gonna end in love. <laughs> to conclude, and this isn't my conclusion, this was Jonathan Mayhew. He said this, let us all learn to be free, to be loyal. Let us not profess ourselves vassals to the lawless pleasures of any man on earth. But let us remember at the same time, government is sacred and not to be trifled with. It is our happiness to live under the governance of a prince who is satisfied with ruling according to the law, as every other good prince will. We enjoy under his administration all the liberty that is proper and expedient for us. It becomes us, therefore, to be contented and dutiful subjects you want a neat place to live? Then participate in making it that by serving your community. You want good governance? Be a part of it. And you know what's gonna require? You're gonna have to contend with tyrants and stand your ground and you're gonna be mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. But you know why you do it? Because you love them. You love them. And when you think you've got it all dialed in, God has this uncanny way of showing you. You can go deeper. 
you don't know what it's like to serve yet. He took this Valentine's week to go deeper with me. If we're gonna see an awakening, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. That cross, that cross, that was for me. That's what he did for me. I have no idea what that means until it cost me something. And as you agree to that love, they'll spit on you, they'll mock you, and you love them anyways. You love them anyways. And the minute it becomes about you, you know because the love dissipates, they become the enemy instead of the opportunity. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. None of them go, hey, finally he figured out Judas. He treated his enemies the same way he treated his friends. I got a long way to go. But I love my neighbor. And you know why? Because God loved me. It still does. And he loves me in some of my worst moments and he's real patient with me. This has been a remarkable Valentine's Day. I've come to love, know love, and it's fascinating that St. Valentine was a martyr. He died for something that was truly love. What a great day for an awakening. Amen? Amen. I wanna pray for a, a young man and this is a challenging time to be doing this, and I'll conclude. I'm gonna invite the worship team up, but I, I wanna pray for a young man. It's a challenging time, and I, not only do I think about him, but I think about my son, and they're both venturing into this world. Is Aaron Viso here? Aaron, come on up here, buddy. Are you getting ready to launch out, yeah? Saturday. Where, where are you going? Rhode Island. Uh, Navy? Yep. Come on over here. Um, commissioned OCS? Yep. And you're going to go in the United States Navy. And uh, you also maritime degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> when you take that oath of office, um, you swear to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And anyone who's in military service, frontline service, this is going to be that season where that oath is going to be challenged. You better know every article of that Constitution and all 27 of those amendments because I already know your character and I know you love the Lord and I know you love your neighbor and you're gonna serve your country and as you're given that privilege to serve, do it in such a way that this gift we've been given is protected and while you do that, we're praying for your protection and we're grateful for what you're doing for us. Amen? Let's pray for Aaron. Lord, I thank you and as he's going forward to be commissioned in the United States Navy as an ensign. Lord, I, I ask that you would order his steps. As you say, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by you. I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct him, that he would, in every venture of this calling, see the gift to protect this republic. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would instill in him an understanding to lead all of those that would be under his command. 
and then those would be above him that he would serve in such a way that he would not compromise the integrity placed upon him by you. And he would not be afraid, but he would stand. He would be humble, he'd be wise, and that you would order his steps and bless him accordingly. We pray for his safety, we pray comfort for his family, and Lord, we wanna say thank you for his sacrifice and what a gift he is to us and our nation, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, buddy, bless you. Let's stand and we'll worship.